You're listening to the Influencer Podcast, episode number 75. Okay, had to pop in here today and tell you that I am so pumped to finally share something that I have been tight-lipped about for almost a year now. I've been teasing it here and there this summer on my Instagram, but today is the day I am officially announcing it. Over the last year, I have been working on something truly transformative for each of you who listen in each week. I know that you have been spinning your wheels wondering what's the difference in bloggers and influencers who think for themselves, attract brand deals, cultivate a community, and empower their influence to honor their purpose versus those who feel trapped in the affiliate marketing rat race, wrestling with the compare and compete, compete and compare mind games of the social scroll, right? I mean, the struggle can be real, but... I do hear you. I have lived that too, and I know what it feels like to be totally lost on how to even start to turn this online influence thing into a true business. And my friend, there is a better way, a much better way. I love today's guest because she's not afraid to really think outside the box and do things a little differently. Since starting her marketing strategy consulting business 12 years ago, Dory Clark has been recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune, and Inc. magazine. And if that's not enough, she also published three books, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. magazine and one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes. Not a small feat. Her roster of consulting and speaking clients include brands like Google, Microsoft, and... Yale University, just to name a few, she has a wealth of insight into what it takes to really win as an entrepreneur that I can't wait to share with you guys today. So let's welcome Dory to the show. So before we dive on in with the amazing Dory Clark today, I want to give a shout out to our awesome reviewer of the week, and that is Blessings and Sass. And she says... Love all the influencer podcasts, especially this one. I believe in authenticity and this podcast helped me to know that it's okay and good practice to promote the things that you believe in without worrying about getting paid all the time. And that organic promotion can lead to paid promotions. Good stuff. Thank you so much for that. I love that that was one of your key takeaways from this podcast as a whole. I really do try my best to bring that good news, if you will, to you, as well as have the guests come in and really share that authenticity is important and organic promotion can lead to paid promotions. So thank you so much for that feedback. And of course, I want to hear from more of you who listen in each week. So we would love it if you would please subscribe to the Influencer Podcast on iTunes. All you got to do is just hit that little subscribe button and then give us a review. That way we can highlight your good news and what you're getting with the feedback of the podcast on an upcoming episode. And make sure to screenshot this episode today on your phone and tag me on your Instagram story at Jill Solomon, as well as our guest at Dory Clark and hashtag the influencer podcast, because we want to know who is listening in today and what your biggest takeaways are. And we will make sure to share those screenshots on our story as well. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Hi, Dory. It is so great to have you here today with us. 
I'm so glad to be speaking. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So I'm super excited to have you on today. You are a wealth of knowledge in your field. You are kind of a, a heteric in a lot of ways, which I, I love that about you when it comes to business and really kind of thinking outside the box and really going against the grain to thrive. And so I know that you have a lot of gleams and goodness to share with us today, but I would love if you could just dive in to kind of give the listeners today a little bit of background about who you are, what made you so attracted to the idea of entrepreneurship, and how you've kind of navigated that world for yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, Julie. Uh, so I started my business uh, 12 years ago now, and immediately before doing it, the job that I had was I was a nonprofit executive director, and I had done a lot of different things. I'd been a newspaper reporter, I'd worked in politics, uh, but really it was running the nonprofit that actually helped convince me, ironically, that I wanted to go into entrepreneurship, because about a year into running this, this little tiny bicycling advocacy organization, I had this epiphany, uh, which you know, should not come as a shock to other people, but somehow I, it hadn't occurred to me, which is that running a nonprofit is exactly the same thing as running a business. And I, and I just thought, wait a minute, I could, I could do this for myself and I would probably have less stress and I would make more money. And like, why, you know, don't be an idiot, Dory. Why are you not doing this? And so that sort of started my journey to entrepreneurship. So I took the next year to really kind of plan and, and lay things out so that the nonprofit could hire you know, a good replacement for me. But also during that time, I was taking professional development classes. I was reading a bunch of books. I was uh, really trying to to understand all of, all of the gaps that I had and try to fill them in as best I could prior to launching my business. Mm, I love that. And I love how you talked about you in the meantime of, of kind of getting the ducks in the row over there. You were side hustling, as they say, and, and really making sure that you could fill those gaps. What allowed you to kind of have that insight to know when to really take that action and empower yourself to do what you needed to do to learn what you needed to learn? Yeah. You know, in terms of making the decision to become an entrepreneur, I think one thing that was uh, kind of ironic for me, I think there's a real stereotype that is wrong, that entrepreneurship is all about risk taking and, you know, being being Richard Branson and jumping out of an airplane or whatever. And really, I, I think the key is that from from modern people, entrepreneurship is actually a risk mitigation strategy. It's a lot riskier to have all your eggs in one basket and to have a day job that could be taken away at any moment. That was certainly what I learned early on when I started my career as a journalist and then got laid off. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you have multiple clients and ideally multiple income streams, which is something that I write about in my book, Entrepreneurial You, and that gives you a lot of security. And so for me, what I think gave me the the freedom and the desire to start my own business was when I was running this nonprofit, frankly, I was making so little money. I, I just knew like it could not go down from there. I was like, you know what? I, I know I'm, I'm not going to be homeless. Like, you know, I mean, my mom will always like, at least let me sleep on her couch. If I have to, I'm not going to be homeless. And so pretty much it, just like by sleepwalking, I could probably somehow make more money than I am making now. So I might as well go for it. Mm. And I, and I love that because I do think that it is like a reframing of our thought process because a, a lot of us are raised to believe that the, the dream is to get the windowless, comfortable corporate job that has the, the 401k and the pension and the benefits, and that's going to keep you safe. And that's going to keep you sound, but that's not necessarily the case. And especially 
in, in, in the world that we now see. And I love that you um, mentioned to me prior to this conversation that you, you want to help people reframe their thinking about that. You want to help people reinvent themselves to really succeed in their entrepreneurial endeavors and be successful in their professional lives. And um, I loved what you said that, um, or the New York Times, I guess, described you as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. And I would love to dive into what that means to you, that idea of self-reinvention and how someone can start stepping more into that. Yeah, self-reinvention, I think, really is is critical. Uh, in my first book, Reinventing You, I, I interviewed this guy and I thought I thought it was it was so spot on. He was the head of HR for a big Silicon Valley company. His name was Stephen Rice. And he said that he really believes that reinvention is the critical skill, the foundational skill of the 21st century. Because if you, things are changing so fast, the job that you are going to be hired into, and I mean, the same applies, of course, to entrepreneurs, you know, whatever job you think you're doing for people now, it's not going to be the same two years from now, or certainly five years from now. And if you have the ability to learn and grow and stretch with it, then you're always going to be okay. But meanwhile, if you say, no, you know, this is my job, not this other thing, and you're like holding to it, then you really are in peril. So if you have reinvention as, a, as almost a muscle that you can practice and flex, it gives you the ability to bridge into a lot of other things. And so I, I think that that's uh, a critical thing to adopt. And in terms of how to do it, I what I realized in all the dozens of interviews I did for, for the book, for Reinventing You, I think ultimately... I like to think of it as lowercase r reinvention and capital R reinvention. And the capital R is where there's, I'll call it like a rupture in your life somehow. Like you have to reinvent. Maybe you're laid off. Maybe you decide, oh, you know, I I was doing this thing, but now I'm going to do this completely other thing. And it could be good. It could be bad, but it's a rupture in some way. And that means it's disruptive to your life. Whereas if you do lowercase r reinvention, which is just, you know what, you're, lear- you're taking a class, you're learning a skill, you're practicing something new on a small daily basis or weekly basis, it, it keeps you nimble enough so that you never have to get to the point where there's a rupture. You're able to, to sort of be, um, you know, doing, doing the 10,000-mile the service so your tires don't explode in the middle of the road. And I, I think if, if we can do that habitually, habitual reinvention, it makes the process a lot smoother and gentler for all of us. Mm. So it really is um, seeing it as a practice then, because I think a lot, of, a lot of people, they'll see it as the big R of, of this huge mountainous thing that they have to to cross or get, you know, and that can be very intimidating. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. 
You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow, you need to scale, you need a marketing strategy, you need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on so you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff, and it's called This Is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. So yeah, exactly. I, I love the idea of, of kind of the, the daily practice of doing that. Are there questions that someone should start to ask themselves or really just kind of get curious on when it comes to that idea? Yeah. If, if we're thinking about questions to ask yourself related to, uh, to reinvention, I think that in you know as with all things it, it kind of starts with the with the future vision one of the strategies that I have written about in the Harvard Business Review I did an article a couple of years back called a campaign strategy for your career and I wrote about a concept called pre-writing your resume and this was something that I actually picked up from uh, from a gentleman that I, I got to know when I was doing a consulting project for a big hospital system. And he had been very successful. He'd had this sort of meteoric rise. And so I was asking him, you know, how did you get here? What did you do? And he said, well, I pre-wrote my resume. And I said, well, what, you know, what does that mean? And it, it was actually brilliant. He came up with it on his own. But what he did was he would every year he would write a new resume. But instead of like how you and I would do it, where we just we write our resume now, he would write the resume that he wanted to have five years in the future. So if we're in 2018, he would write his resume for 2023. And now this might in some ways sound like, oh, well, he's just sort of you know, isn't that him just sort of picturing what job he wants? But but no, not exactly. That is a little bit more wishful thinking. The reason that it's so transformative to pre-write your resume, it's not so much about setting the future goal. It is understanding all the steps necessary to get to it because you have to identify what are the jobs that you're going to have in between now and 2023. And if you understand what jobs you need to have to get there, you understand what skills you need to build in order to get hired for those jobs. And that gives you a roadmap you can follow that's actually real and substantive. Oh, I love that. That is, that's such a great um, homework for those listening. And I love the idea of being able to measure it, right? Because it's really those, those jobs in between 
the, the, the end goal, the end result and where you are now, that's going to really help you measure what you need to do and really how long it's going to take to get yeah, there. That's exactly right. Cause anyone can say, Oh, in five years, I'm going to be a multimillionaire and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. But it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do about it? How do you, right. how do you get there? How do you get and there? If you, if, the exercise demands precision in that area. And I think that's what makes it really valuable. I love that. And I'm going to encourage anyone listening right now to do that exercise. If you do it, tag me and Tori on social media, because we want to see this. That is so cool. I love that. And I think I'm actually going to have to do it too, because even the thought, it, it, it makes you put the big dreams on the paper. It also scares you, which is a good thing because you know that, okay, this is, this is new territory, right? And you're going to be able to be a beginner at something again, which is great. You don't want to keep doing what you've always been doing, but it's really going to allow you to see it and conceptualize it in a way to take those steps. So I love, I love that. Thank you for that, for that story. Um, totally. So I know Standout, which you've mentioned, um, was named the number one leadership book in 2015 by Inc. Magazine and one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes. So not not something to just kind of peruse by if you if you see it. You probably definitely want to pick it up and, and dive into that because I know that there is a ton of phenomenal work in there. Why Standout? Why that title? What does that mean? And how important is it to stand out? in today's world as an entrepreneur? And then I have some more questions after that too about this. Yes. Well, really what Standout is about is about how to become a recognized expert in your field. And the reason that that topic became interesting to me or that I wanted to pursue it was when I started my consulting business in 2006, immediately I, I sort of stepped into the world like, hey, I'm a marketing consultant. And then I was like, oh no, everyone's a marketing consultant. There's like, like you can't swing, you can't swing a bat without hitting another marketing consultant. And I thought, oh God, I have to like specialize somehow, or I have to, I have to do something different to get people to pick me. And I didn't know what to do to get people to pick me. And it was, it was kind of stressful. And so I, um, I, I realized that I, I needed to kind of go on a campaign to understand how the people that I admired, the thought leaders, how they had actually gotten there. What did it take? You know, how did they come up with the ideas they got known for and how did they spread them? Like, what did that process look like? So I, I went out and I interviewed about 50 uh, very respected thought leaders um, across a bunch of different fields. In, in the business world, I talked to Seth Godin. I talked to uh, to Tom Peters, to uh, Robert Cialdini, uh, you know, a lot of people that, that folks have heard of, Daniel Pink. And I pressed them about these questions, you know, basically, how did you become a thought leader? Because I wanted to understand and I wanted to give other professionals the tools so that they could figure out what their own uh, message and special sauce was. Because I, I think in the modern economy, what we're all learning is that the, the number one thing to avoid, the number one thing that you cannot be is a commodity because the prices will just go down, down, down. You have to give some people a reason to choose you and to feel like, okay, she's worth paying more too, because I know she offers something different or better or special. And when you can capture that, that's what enables you to actually give your career some real security. Mm, and that, I'm so excited to dive into this with you more because that is probably the number one issue. And we see it in in multiple tracks. A, a lot of my listeners are 
influencers, but specifically they're, they're in the social media online space. They're bloggers, they're YouTubers, they're wellness and fitness, um, coaches, they're consultants, and they're really trying to use their social media as a way to influence and make greater impact. And of course, monetize. But the biggest feedback that I always hear is exactly what you just said. No matter what I'm doing, I can't stick out among the saturation. I feel like a commodity. I feel like a dime a dozen. I'm not able to negotiate better rates or to really help this brand or help this media outlet see why they should pick me to be the expert in what they need or to help them drive sales to their new product or service or what have you. Um, So I would love to hear from you. How were you able to navigate this in your own personal journey? And what would be the top feedback that you could share with the listeners today on how they can start to stand out a little bit more? Yeah. So in my, in my early days of my business, I was kind of fumbling to try to find a solution. And eventually through doing these interviews and trying a bunch of stuff, which didn't necessarily work, some of it did, some of it didn't, I was able to to develop a methodology, which is um, what I talk about in part and stand out. And then I, I have a course that I run called Recognized Expert, where I've really codified the methodology. But it comes down to three core things that, that I did and that I advise others to do. And I'll explain each of them, but basically it's content creation, social proof, and network. And what those things uh, have in common, how they fit together is this. Content creation is really essential because you need to give your prospective customers a way to see what your ideas are and to, see, to and to be able to basically tell for themselves if you're any good. In the knowledge economy, it is extremely hard. You know, you can say, oh, I'm a project manager. Oh, I'm a designer. Oh, I'm a branding strategist. And they're like, all right, well, how do I tell the difference? And there's not a good way to tell the difference unless they have already worked with you. Or, you know, of course they can like call references or something like that, but it is so much easier and better if you are able to create content that lets them see for themselves what your ideas are. And like, oh, I resonate with this woman. She's really good, you know? And it it makes the buying decision much easier because you've already built trust with that. So content creation is really critical. Number two is social proof, which is basically how are you showing your target audience that you are credible? There's a lot of noise out there. And so consequently, rationally, um, a lot of times people just screen things out. They just don't even pay attention at all. But if you're able to walk in the door and basically show people that you are pre-vetted, you know, look, I've worked with these three clients that you've already heard of, or I've, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, gone to, to this program and that school and whatever, you know, that they've heard of. I write for these three publications that they've heard of. It, it, it basically allows people to say, oh, you know, if she's good enough for Harvard Business Review, then she must be good enough for me. I will at least listen. I will at least give her a chance. That's extremely valuable. And then finally, it's your network. Because the truth is, if you have those two ingredients, um, that is great. But if you don't have people to amplify it, it's not going to go that far. You need to not be the only person talking about your ideas. You need people talking you up, suggesting you. Uh, and, and of course, you do the same for them. But you need to immerse yourself in a community so that you can kind of all uh, promote each other and rise together. Those are really the three key ingredients that I, uh, that, that, that I have experienced and, and worked on and that I share with people in, in you know, my uh, teaching that I do. And I love that you touched on those three because 
as you as you just mentioned so beautifully. I mean, they, they are so vital and important to the growth of really being able to stick out. And I want to really talk about the network component because what I see a lot of times when people hear that, they just think, okay, accumulation, right? I just needed to acquire 50,000 followers. And then I just need to, you know, try to do X, Y, and Z contributing posts. And then, or I just need to meet this person or that person. But if there's not a strategy behind that, if there's not an intentional network, if you don't have faithful followers, you know, people that are really actively and genuinely engaging in what you're wanting to do and want to kind of toot your own horn for you and really drive that through, it's still going to fall on deaf ears. So how much how much have you seen really strategic networking and making sure, just most importantly, that you're talking to the right audience and repelling the ones that shouldn't be there? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, in I, I I think it's really critical. And in my own experience, what I have done, partly you choose your audience by where you are sharing your content, and that that kind of um, attracts certain folks. So a lot of my listeners are people who are pretty smart, accomplished professionals. You know, they uh, they're probably highly educated. They're probably already pretty successful in terms of the amount of money that they make or their clients. But the big kind of presenting problem, you could say, is that they they would like their ideas to be heard more widely. They're really good among the people that know them, but they want to be known by more people. And so for me, um, I do a lot of my writing for the Harvard Business Review, which is um, the publisher of, of a couple of my books. And the readers there, it's it's kind of in the sweet spot. You know, those those are people who are really educated professionals and they're proud of it. And so you become a trusted source by being able to provide information to people in the place that they already trust. Uh, so I, I think that that's, that's part of how you can do it. And then also it's really your voice. One of the things that I hear a lot from people who are starting out is they say, well, you know, my, uh, I don't know if my ideas are any good because, you know, other people have said them before, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, of course, the, the truth is no one has said them in your voice and in your way. And that makes it uniquely valuable. I mean, yes, the stuff that you're writing today is not going to be as good as the stuff you're writing five years from now. You're going to get better, but that's okay because you wouldn't be able to do the really good stuff in five years if you didn't do it now. Um, what people are going to be drawn to is uh, is your voice and your unique take on those issues, um, You know, many of which might be timeless wisdom, but uh, but it's through your lens. Mm, I love that. And I love it. Not only is that, I think, an aha for a lot of people, because I think it's it's very easy just to kind of see what everyone else may be doing and then just maybe try to emulate that because that's what you feel like the social consciousness wants. Um, but then you're going to kind of lose yourself and lose your voice and lose your opportunity in the midst of that. Um, so I love that. Thank you for that. I want to talk about challenges for a moment. Um, before this conversation, you had said to me that um, you see that there's a lot of stress among professionals and especially influencers regarding which channels to really prioritize in terms of communicating with and developing their audience, which we've been talking about a little bit. You obviously help your clients strategize around this, but when it comes to really effectively developing that audience and really communicating it, what is one way to you know, see the challenge where they may be in this moment, but to really start to overcome that idea. Is there new 
um, channels, because you were talking about, you know, which channels to prioritize, how do you see that priority and, and really how it, it affects or can attribute to, to the challenge? Yeah, there's a few ways to, to look at this, Julie. I think that, that one is the question of um, how, how forward do you want to, you want to be in terms of jumping on the next new thing? Um, so, we all know that there is, to a certain extent, in social channels, a, a like a first mover advantage. You know, if you were if you were a big person in Twitter in 2006, 2007, you became huge because as everybody joined Twitter, like, oh well, everybody follows so and so, and then and then this like random person gets a million followers. Um, so it's you know it's a little bit of a lucky break. However, for every situation like that, there's the person who's like, oh, they're the first person on Yo, or they're the first person on, uh, on you know, Google Plus, or, you know, something like that. And, you know, these are things that just kind of tanked. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a little bit like high risk, high reward strategy. If you're really into like jumping on tech trends, then by all means, that's never really been my thing. Um, so I think the way that I like to think about it, number one, of course, is understanding just who is your audience. I think many of us, uh, we, you know, we, we know we should, but I think, you know, many people still don't even necessarily have really crystal clarity about, about that. But like, who, you know, wh who is your audience and where do they like to congregate? Cause you, you want to meet them where they're at, but also I want to put in a plug and, and this is, I have a whole section about this in my book, entrepreneurial you, uh, because I think that it is so critical is, um, the sexy part that everybody talks about is the social channels, but email, I think still is, is absolutely critical. You are missing out if you are not consciously cultivating an email list and, and using that. That is a resource that you have a, re a direct relationship with a customer. No one can take that away, unlike a social network where they can change the algorithms and screw you overnight. And, uh, and email open rates are 10 times what, so, you know, the, the chance is that someone would see your post on social. So there's a lot to be said for having a good email strategy. Mm. And, um, a lot of, a lot of my listeners, they're, they're so, cause I also want to talk about diversifying your marketing channels as well, because I see a lot of my listeners, they will get really focused in just on one platform, right? So just Instagram or YouTube or Facebook. And it be kind of, it kind of becomes this tunnel vision because they're just putting all of their efforts and energy and man, are they working hard? But sometimes I'm like, there's gotta be a smarter way. And so I love that you just uh, talked about, um, the idea of building a list and how important that is and, and really email and, and what you can kind of cultivate there. A lot of people say that email is dead. I don't feel that way. I would love your take on that. I don't think Definitely you do not. <laughs> No, I, I, th I think email is really powerful. I mean, it's, it's something that ha has enabled me, you know, since I first started to really consciously focus on it in 2015, it's become, you know, a, a six figure a year revenue generator for me. And it, you know, it's extremely valuable in, in that way, but also just having a connection with people. I mean, if somebody trusts you enough to let you into their inbox, that is really saying something in today's society. So I, I think it's, it's really important. I mean, oftentimes a lot of the discussion about, oh, and email's dead comes from people looking at surveys about teenagers and teenage behavior is very different. 
I mean, mostly because, hello, they don't have jobs. If you don't have a job, sure, you don't need email. You can just text your friends because your whole freaking life is social. But once you actually have a job with things to do, you're going to get on email because everybody's on email. And actually, email is good because it's better than a phone call in terms of being able to like not waste your time. So I think email is actually kind of fantastic. And I think that today's 15 year olds, once they become 22 year olds and they, and they get their job or they start trying to work with other people, they're going to get on the email bandwagon. I agree with you. And and even anyone out there who may be targeting a 15 or 14 year old audience, the 14 or 15 year olds are not the ones that are buying. It's their parents that are buying and the parents are on email. So there you have it. I actually had one person email me once and tell me that email was dead. And I just said, oh, I don't think you realize the irony in that. But okay, because that was just really funny. Um, So I love that you just dived into that. I love that you're passionate about email. I am super passionate about it as well. And, um, and really, um, what it can cultivate in order to build that no like, and trust and, and building that relationship there that you, you can't just, you can't get on another platform. So that for sure, I wanted to also, um, talk to you kind of about pitching for, for a moment and, and really going a little bit deeper than pitching, but just relationship building and kind of going back to networking, but just communicating with people. A lot of times I will see someone say, well, I guess being an influencer doesn't work for me because, you know, I pitched this brand once or I pitched this editor once and I never heard back. And so I'll say, okay, well, what did you say? And they were like, well, you know, I asked them if I could do this or I asked for this or I asked for this or I asked for that. And I was like, well, how about not asking for anything at first? So I would love your take on kind of establishing relationships, building relationships, the things that you must absolutely not do and the things that you must absolutely do when you are meeting someone or trying to pitch or connect with someone for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think you're very right about that. First of all, I I think um, perseverance really counts for a lot, and and also casting a relatively wide net. I mean, I recently finished uh, teaching a workshop in Boston about uh, writing for high profile publications, and uh, it was a cool cool day. You know, brought in a bunch of people, had a couple of Harvard Business Review editors there. Um, but one of the things that I talked about was how I ended up breaking into these uh, publications, HBR and other ones. And so in 2012, I decided that that was going to be my year that I was going to really focus in on it. And so I I made a list of two dozen publications that I thought would be good to write for. And I did the research. I figured out who's the editor you contact. I sent, I sent a pitch to all of them. And by this time, I was writing for a few places. I was writing for HBR already. I was writing for the Huffington Post. So I was not a novice. And so I reached out to these two dozen publications saying, hey, you know, I'm, I, I am somebody who is a credible writer. I will write for you for free. Out of 24, three, only three actually bothered to get back to me. And out of those three, you know, a couple, you know, they, they sent a little note. So two of them I wrote back to, and then I, and then after that, I never heard anything. And, you know, I had sent these like detailed pitches. No, nothing. Only one out of the 24 turned into anything, but the one that did actually was Forbes. And so I ended up having a really good relationship where for three and a half years, I was blogging regularly for them. So it turned into a great asset, but it came from casting a super wide net and getting a ton of rejection. Uh, so I think having to, to keep up um, and, and just keep going really matters a lot. And yes, for sure, uh, people are bombarded by pitches and asks all the time. And if 
if you somehow have done your research such that you know that somebody is specifically looking for something, then sure, by all means, lead with a pitch if you know it'll like solve their problem. But otherwise, if you don't, it it really is not the nicest thing to have somebody just coming at you like, gimme, gimme, gimme. And uh, so it's almost like a puzzle thinking, how can I, how can I build a relationship with this person in a way that I can actually give to them, that I can actually be helpful to them? Yeah. And I think the key word there is relationship because a relationship doesn't happen overnight and a relationship doesn't happen by asking once and then quitting. And I think a lot of times people feel like, oh, well, this is, this just must not be working or I must not be the right person or the right fit because no one's getting back to me. And it's like, not necessarily. I mean, you know, it, it could just be wrong time, wrong email, wrong person. I would love to know, cause this is a big question I get from listeners all the time and I don't think there's a right answer. So I just want to hear your feedback. How do you go about figuring out who to contact? How do you find the right person to contact? How do you find their email? What kind of, um, um, advice do you have going that direction? Cause that seems to be for some people like a really big hurdle and it keeps them from ever pulling the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how sometimes, you know, something that on the surface seems like such a minor thing, like I can't find an email address ends up like derailing an entire process. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think that, that it, it is important to work through that and, uh, and to try, try to, um, just buckle down and do it. So the ways that I do it, I mean, at, at a minimum level, if I'm, if I'm trying to reach someone, of course, we all know a warm introduction is always better than a cold one. So trying to hunt through your network to see, is there anyone that can introduce me? Um, that's always going to be better, but you know what? Sometimes it's not. And when I, uh, when I was reaching out to these publications, uh, the, you know, the 24 of them that I was pitching were places that I didn't have any connections at all. And so I sent a cold pitch and, we have to understand that in a cold pitch, the, the success rates are not great, but it, it does happen enough if you are targeted and, and lucky. That's the, the thing. Forbes was not just impressed enough with my credentials that they thought I was credible. That's, that's sort of necessary. But in addition to that, they were actively looking for contributors at the time. So they're like, oh, perfect. This, this person fits in right now. So, um, you know, just like one basic tactic, if uh, almost always at uh, organizations, people will have the same format of email addresses. So like sometimes it's like first name at whatever, or it's like, you know, first, uh, first letter, last name. So it'd be D Clark at blah, blah, blah. And so if you can find the email address for one person at that organization, you can probably guess what it is for the other person and then just try it. Keep trying, uh, permutations until you, you stop getting bounce backs. Uh, you know, you'll get a bounce back of the, you know, this, this does not exist. Um, and when you stop getting those, you're like, Oh, I found the right one. Uh, so, you know, that's like one basic hack of, of figuring that out. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I use, I've used that hack many, many times. And, um, and, and nowadays it's, it's, you know, cause that's my whole, you know, I can't find an email and I'm like, your availability to find someone in 2018 has never been easier than any other time in human existence. You know, there's, there's social media, there's LinkedIn, there's all of these different platforms that we can use. And so it's really just about being resilient and taking a little bit of time. So I love that hack. Thank you for that a lot. That's awesome. I want to talk about, um, any kind of tools or techniques that you use. I know that you have a great, um, 
link to productivity. It's doryclark.com forward slash productivity, where you provide a ton of your tools that you use. You had let me know of some of them that I thought was really interesting. I would love to hear more about boomerang and not the one that we think that it is that we see like on Instagram where we're, we're going back and forth in a photo, but, um, what, how you use it to schedule emails for the future and how that allows some ease and gives you some time back. Right. Yeah. So Boomerang is a, is a great tool, a free tool. Um, I mean, they have paid versions that you can use, but the basic version is free. And I like it a lot because it, it allows you, it's a, an extension off Gmail. It allows you to schedule emails going out in the future. So what is nice about that, I often find that something that becomes a little bit of a time waster, you're like jamming through your inbox, right? And so you respond to somebody and then they get the message and they're on email too. And they're like, oh my God, she's right here. And so then they, they email you back. And then if you email them back, oh my God, they're going to email you back. And you, and you get into like this, like, it's like a G chat, except it's over email. And you're like, no, this is not what I wanted. And so I, what I will do oftentimes, uh, if I think that I'm going to be in that situation is I will write the response then, but I will schedule it to go out several hours in the future, or even like the next day so that you don't get into this kind of immediate back and forth. That's, that's one way of doing it. Another, uh, use that I, I think is helpful is if somebody says to you, oh, right, blah, 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 that's cool. Follow up with me in a week or follow up with me in two weeks. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, they may, they may mean it or they may actually be counting on you to forget. So it goes away. Uh, but a very easy hack around that is you write the message in boomerang and then you schedule it for a week from now and you say you know hey uh julie just following up on our conversation what did you think about blah 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 can we do that and you you schedule it now you um then it gets to that person a week later and you you don't have to worry about it or think about it afterwards i love that and i bet the return rate is a lot higher when you actually do that when you when you actually check in because again a lot of people don't and we assume that the person didn't mean it or that, you know, we always assume the worst, they're not going to respond. But by doing that, I'm going to have to try that because it sounds, it sounds like it'd be very, very helpful. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question before we pop off that I ask everyone that comes on the show. Um, and that is what does influence mean to you? Yeah. So influence, uh, to me means, uh, just the, the, the ability to, the ability to shape other people's lives for good or for ill and, uh, and ho hopefully for good. Uh, I think that, uh, that for, for almost all of us that are in this world and in, in this business, uh, we want to have a positive impact. And so influence is powerful because, um, when you are reaching more people, your, your impact, uh, you know, it just, it just carries further. It, it, it means that, uh, you're, you're able to help more people and there is frankly more meaning in what you're able to do because it's touching more lives. Um, so I, that's, that's how I think about it. That's awesome. It's a great answer. I love that. Um, okay. Well, what is next for you? And then where can we of course start to find you online, dive into more of your, the work that you're currently doing? I'm of course going to have so much of this in the show notes, but would love to hear from you as well. Uh, thank you. What's next for me, um, you know, right at the moment, I'm working on a lot of cool things. I'm in the process of, uh, of, uh, pulling together a, a mastermind, uh, 
retreat that I'm doing in December, which is very exciting. And, um, on a, uh, on a person, I'm doing a, uh, strategy retreat for a client in Puerto Rico next week, which will be nice. Cause I'm also getting some beach time in as a result of that. And, uh, on a personal note, I, uh, have started, I'm, I'm going to be starting a program this fall, uh, which I'm really excited about. It is a training program in, uh, writing musical theater. Uh, so that's going to be kind of a cool sideline that I'm going to be pursuing for the next couple of years as I do that, uh, that program. That's very cool. I love all the creative endeavors that are happening. Just creation is is awesome. I love that. Well, if yeah. you are listening today, you want to dive into more, make sure to head over to theinfluencerpodcast.com where you will get all of the good show notes and takeaways and a ton of the amazing resources that Dory laid out for us today. I made a lot of notes. I can't wait to dive that into the show notes for you guys. And um, if you want to dive deeper into some of the stuff that she puts online, you can find her on Twitter and on Facebook. And that is at Dory Clark. It's at Dory Clark. And I'll, I'll mention too, Julie, that if folks are especially interested in um, some of my recent work about how to create multiple income streams in your business, they can get a, a free resource. It's the 88-question entrepreneurial use self-assessment, which um, helps people figure out how to create multiple income streams in their own business. And folks can get that for free at doryclark.com entrepreneur. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dory. Thanks, Julie. Great talking to you. Wanting even more influencer podcast goodness and to connect with like-minded influencers? Join our Facebook community for daily tips on how to up-level your business and chat with myself and other listeners. All you got to do is visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the influencer podcast to be a part of this wonderful community. Are you ready to create your own industry-leading influence? For show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com, where you can find out more about this week's episode, guest, and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.